Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. Weird vibes, right? I um, thought about this for about a month back when I recorded this episode originally. I wondered if I would put out an episode this week depending on what happened. I still know what happened at the time that I'm recording this intro. I also don't care. Um, This is the thing that makes me happy, the thing that I'm creating and putting it out no matter what. Comedy is going to happen no matter what happens. Comedy is always political. So is my podcast. So um, the episode this week is Mary Elaine Ramsey. She is very funny. Um, And I thought this was kind of a good episode in this kind of weird vibe we're in because uh, Mary Elaine is more into club comedy. I'm more into alt comedy. We kind of talk about the differences. And I feel like we still reached a lot of common ground. I think we had a great conversation. I just got done emailing Mary Elaine saying uh, this was, listening back to it was a pleasure. It's a great conversation about stand-up. She's very funny, talks a little bit about acting and that path and how it's different than stand-up. Just uh, had a great time, good conversation. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Follow the show on social media at Don't Sit in the Front on Instagram or at Don't Underscore Sit on Twitter. I've been staying off of social media, but I'll make a post for each of the episodes. Uh, But yeah, everybody take care of each other, protect each other, uh, and we're going to see what's going to happen here. So please enjoy the episode with Mary Elaine Ramsey. close yeah you live in Larchmont village that's awesome like yeah like um right by cafe gratitude oh great yeah wonderful spot it's so nice to walk around i'll ride my bike up there sometimes farmer's market so nice oh do you go to the farmer's market each sunday yeah but i haven't been oh yeah i res i haven't been since quarantine started so i wondered how they were handling that and if it's if you feel comfortable at it or not i guess I've been going. I feel comfortable. Yeah. But how has your uh, how has your quarantine been, I guess? Have you been in L.A. the whole time? No. So I um, I spent a few months in Boston with my family. Mm. And it was lovely for a bit because I have nieces and nephews and I got to see my parents. But you start to feel just so pathetic as an adult. <laughs> um Living with your parents, you mean? Yeah, I started, I was like regressing to like a bratty teen. I was like being a little bitch to my mom. I was like, I need to get a life. And uh-huh. well, what also, do you think yeah. is the time limit? I've kind of found I'm from Wisconsin. I'll go back and visit twice a year when we could fly easier. And I think my time limit is like 10 days is the longest. I can't imagine how long you were there. Yeah, I think 10 days is pretty ideal. Um Cause the first couple of days you're like sleeping you're whatever. Um, 
three months was massively pushing it. I think <laughs> even my parents were like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. We often forget they got rid of us at a certain too. age too. Yeah, definitely. I know. It's so crazy. Even as an adult who loves my alone time, I forget that my parents sometimes just like don't want me to be around them. It's yeah. just, it's impossible to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. But it's very true. And they were even making it pretty clear. Yeah. Well, how have you been spending the time? Have you been doing any Zoom shows or things like that to kind of keep your stand-up going? Yeah, I've been doing um, some Zoom shows. I did a show, actually, a live show couple of nights ago in San Bernardino and the host was like fucking awesome. He was so cool, but it was funny. Cause it was just like, truly was not socially distanced at all. <laughs> yeah. Like to a, like a kind of comical extent. And there was even this massive circle of people sharing a joint. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like one dude in the corner wearing a mask. And the host was like, everyone like, be sure to keep those masks on. Like, mm. you know, unless unless you like want to make out with somebody, then like, sure. Masks can come off. Yeah. But that's in San Bernardino County then. So maybe different regulations than LA or I don't know. Can we do outdoor shows in LA yet? I saw they did. No, some, we like, cannot. Well, they had like I'm, rooftop comedy and some things at grand central market that seem right, to be they're being shut down. Dang. Yeah. And, um, comedy clubs, they're being so fucking annoying about comedy clubs. Like I cannot understand why you see these restaurants and they have outdoor seating and they're packed with people. Mm. Why can the comedy store not just convert the parking lot? It like they have tables where people are allowed to eat. What fucking difference does it make if you place one human and a microphone? Yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah. It's really bad. It's like they should be working with people. Yeah. It definitely could have been a lot better messaging, uniformed, and also figuring out what can we do and not do. And it seemed like the restaurants were good about pushing back and somehow they're allowed to operate. There's a lot less. I don't know why that is. It doesn't make sense. And I mean, I think they should be especially sensitive to it in Los Angeles because I mean, this city runs on entertainment. Yeah. And I mean, I'm scared what's going to happen to the comedy store, the improv flappers. I mean, it would be tragic if these iconic places went under because of this. Mm-hmm. So we shall see, I guess. I think it's just because to the, the very out of touch mainstream observer, it's just kind of like comedy club equals bar. Bars equal people partying and hanging out we're supposed to be strict about that restaurant is just kind of gets away with it and still being right. like bars that have outdoor seating too. So yeah, that could be it. But how did it go? Had that been a long time since you had done live stand up? Yeah, I've done a few like open mics. Um, it, it went pretty well. I mean, I was trying out some new material that was kind of flopping. So I very quickly mm. maneuvered into more tried and true material. And then what surprised me is, I did some crowd work and I don't think I was quite as sharp as when I'm well-practiced, mm. but I was excited to see that I wasn't nervous to do that. Like I, I'm definitely rusty, but I think I'm less rusty than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Well, depending on how much 
you know, some people have been very mindful of getting on zoom calls or meeting a friend in a park or being pretty social, how in whatever ways you can and still be safe and both people feel comfortable. Is there some elements of doing crowd work and things where it's just nice to meet a stranger? Cause like for me doing this podcast since quarantine started, uh, I think I have a rare experience compared to some friends who are just working where like I am meeting new people via the internet. I have a new conversation. This person is new to me. That's like, a novel thing right now is does crowd work fulfill any of that or is it just sort of a tool for you in that set that is a that's a really interesting point i think yeah i think that's absolutely right i think crowd work crowd work is like a heightened social interaction right because you mm-hmm. have a million not a million i wish a million <laughs> eyes on you there were like 30 people there yeah um you have other eyes on you and yeah, especially as a comic. I mean, people people in the audience are nervous about a uh, comic engaging them in crowd work, but actually mm. when they think about it, like the the comedian's kind of the more vulnerable person in that dynamic because they're literally just standing on stage waiting for a response and then the hope is like come up with something quick that's mm. also funny. So it actually is a high-pressured social interaction. And I, I do kind of enjoy, I enjoy, um, I guess, yeah, high pressured social, like I love first dates. Hmm. I love when there's like stakes involved, Uh like obvious laid out stakes. Like either you make people, you engage people, you either make them laugh Mm. or you don't with a date, like either you get the second date or you don't. Yeah. I think you're quite rare in the liking the the high stakes situation perhaps but i guess that's why a lot of people go into any kind of performance perhaps you get her i get a rush like i loved mm-hmm. um in college i loved like truth or dare i loved like prank phone calls uh-huh. i like <laughs> i like when things are a little weird socially yeah well, that's good for crowd work. You also just, I think you said something I hadn't thought of, even though I've thought about crowd work so much is just that the, the audience doesn't know what you just said, which is that you're the vulnerable one. You're the one mm-hmm. person in front with a light on you that we can all see and you can't see us, but nobody knows that. And I'm always nervous. I'm nervous for the comic until they get a good laugh that kind of settles things. I'm nervous for the comic that does crowd work. Cause I'm like, you have no idea what that person's going to say to ruin the mood. <laughs> I'm nervous for you. And then I think you've just tapped into like, it's because you are the vulnerable one, but nobody thinks of it that way. So that's interesting. I mean, if you think about, yeah, it's like you're being interviewed and you're here and then everyone else is on the other side of the table judging you. They're not looking at the person really. Mm. And, and also the onus is not on the person being engaged to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And they didn't walk in to the club and make that proclamation of like, I think I'm so interesting. I should be on stage holding a microphone. It's like mm-hmm. you did that. So you better show up and you better be entertaining. Mm. Have you had a lot of experience with hecklers and like drunk people in a crowd or is that still? Oh, yeah. Mm. I love crowd work. I love I'm probably better at that than material, which is like kind of a 
thing of laziness and also not very helpful for a career if you're trying to like get a special no one's going to be like oh yeah good crowd work um but i think it earns you a lot more it earns you a lot of respect though right among comics if you can get good at crowd work yeah, the com- the biggest compliment I get from other comics, which is not even per se a compliment, it's kind of cryptic, is like, I enjoy watching you because you're never afraid to derail a set. Uh-huh. And I've derailed many sets, but <laughs> I always, I get a kick out of it kind of like, because I see it from a third person perspective of like, I'm enjoying watching myself kind of desperately try to get people to laugh and have them just be like, try again, bitch. Like, I think there's something inherently funny about that. Um, But yeah, drunk. I've had so many um, hecklers. I sort of invite it. But um, like I had this one guy, I was on some show and it was an all-female lineup at the comedy store and of course since it's all women they needed to name the show d d cups of comedy it's like (laughs) you know like naturally we have to make a breast reference um this is a a woman promoter too or rather a producer yeah a woman promoter it is she i think it's a monthly show and it's always an all-female lineup okay um so I was opening up the show. Actually, Liz Glazer was the host. Oh, nice. And I have a funny story about that. Oh, my God. Liz Glazer is the biggest nerd alert I know, by the way. <laughs> uh-huh. she, is, she is such a fucking cartoon. She's one of my best friends. But so Liz introduces me. And Liz was like, how do you want me to bring you up? And I was like, I'd just like you to tell the audience that like you probably would have committed suicide by now had it not been for our friendship. Like, <laughs> and I just like go on and on and on to say all these like false uh, credits that I have mm. her read out. So I walk out and I'm very flat and I was wearing a tight shirt. And so I, I started off my set by being like, hey, everyone, I was, you know, quick apology. Um, typically I do have uh D cup size breasts. It's just today I had a little bit of food poisoning. (laughs) Very clearly a a, a joke. Yeah. And some dude who's like fucking obese and like blackout drunk goes, yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't know we had Bill Nye, the science guy here to fact check me. (laughs) And he sort of became, um, like a funny thing the best is when and i'm not i'm not seasoned enough to do this consistently but every now and then i get lucky where it's like you'll have a heckler Mm -hmm. and you'll sort of address it go into material and then swing back to it and then it becomes a through line where it's like you heighten your interactions with them yeah um like how they talk about an improv like heightening the absurdity Mm -hmm. heightening your connection with this person um, and that is like the, it feels, I mean, people say this, like when you get a great laugh, it's like riding away. That for me is like a really fun kind of out of body experience when you can do that effectively. Yeah. Um, and when you watch great comics, it's like, they can do that in their sleep. For me, it really is very hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was curious about kind of, uh, your, training and how you oriented yourself into stand up because you also 
you're obviously on a uh, sort of an actor's track um, and then stand up has come alongside it. And I wonder if um, it seems like you're flexing very different muscles with both of those uh, skill sets, but then the obvious question to ask is like, how does one filter and like, how does one feed into the other? But um, more from that, having to do crowd work, riding one wave into, into the next for laughter, that's very different than when you're doing scripted acting. So I wonder about, do you feel like you're spreading yourself uh, thin on those two things or is one help the other? I guess is my kind of attempt at a good interview question. Definitely. Definitely. They both help one another. Um, you know, it's probably like in sports when you do certain drills Mm. Uh, like when you're focusing on just ball work or what, like acting, definitely there's moments where if you're imitating somebody or you're doing an act out or you're acting out a story, of course that comes into play. Um, spreading myself thin. Yes, I did feel that when I was, cause for a while I was just doing acting. Like I did a lot of theater in New York, some like guest spots on TV shows and I was doing the auditioning circuit. And it just felt like my progression there was happening so slowly. Yeah. Um, to a very painful extent. Like you begin to feel like a huge fucking loser. Mm. Um, and obviously once you develop some perception of yourself as being this loser and then you're walking in with that energy to auditions, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. And also my career wasn't, it was moving so slowly, but also I was like auditioning for a lot of like sex worker roles, like mistress, mm. you know, because my voice, it was like, um, I was getting pushed in the drama, like drama, weird, sex addicted, like just stuff that I was like, when I sought to pursue acting, like this was not real. Yeah. <laughs> I was like thinking sitcom and whatnot. Yeah. And then that shit started happening. So I was like, I honestly, seriously always wanted to be a stand up comedian. I just truly didn't have the guts. And then a few years getting my ass kicked on the auditioning circuit toughened me up a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to try what I actually want to do, which is stand up. And very quickly, stand up sort of felt more at home for me. Mm. Um, I really, I like the stand up community in LA. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. And as many people as I know, I still don't know so many people and there's still so many amazing people I haven't even gotten to know yet. Like these people just feel truly, I mean, I'm just so thankful for my friends in stand up, and I never really felt that way about acting. So I sort of focused more of my attention into stand-up. And from that, I've I've started writing. I'd like to get into a writer's room. Um, yeah, creating comedy just feels more like home for me than wearing a push-up bra and like knee-high leather boots and uh. praying the casting director thinks you're hot enough yeah. to say hey i want to fuck you you know like i'm like this is really doing me no favors yeah for sure and then yeah so it sounds like the community aspect of stand-up is one of the draws but it in level in terms of competition maybe the amount of competition or maybe the 
the quality of it. What do you think is more cutthroat though? Because stand-up is also very competitive, right? But um, how does it compare to when you're going out for auditions? I mean, stand-up in a way it feels le- it's more competitive in that I think the commitment of stand-up comedians to get truly great at what they're doing is unmatched mm. in the performing arts. I mean, I could be talking out of my ass, but that's my personal, the work ethic um, behind stand-ups is, you know, it's definitely made me, inspired me to work harder than I had been. Um, mm-hmm. But in a way it's less competitive, right? Because there's multiple people on a lineup yeah and with acting you're all it's you know 30 chicks and this is a cliche thing but it's like 30 chicks who sort of look like you saying the same you know and especially if you're not angelina jolie and you're just auditioning for like dumb little guest bits that's Mm -hmm. anyone could do you know it doesn't require Mm. all this training to say like truly like will you fuck you know just dumb shit Mm -hmm. we're all competing for that one opportunity and in stand-up there is just more of a sense of everyone's working towards getting great Mm -hmm. and it's not any you know I mean aside from of course like you know JFL new face that's like a very coveted thing that's very competitive to get but even that it's like nothing no one thing in stand-up makes or breaks you Mm -hmm. it's just the long committed pursuit of getting truly good at it yeah and then with acting so much production has to go into getting you on any of the few places you can appear and yeah. pr- pretty few barriers to entry to at least just doing an open mic right and, and stand Zero. up it's just yeah. getting your ass to the place Uh, how long were you, how long have you been doing stand up? Three years. So, um, which obviously in stand up is very new. But when, like, I, when I started, I, I, which is, I guess I still just started, but I was hitting it very hard. Like, there, like, I was trying to get 15 to 20, up 15 to 20 times a week. Yeah. Which is a lot. I, the second I started, I dove in head first. Mm. And when you're hitting auditions hard, how many can someone get in like a week on a kind of a generalized experience? I mean, during like a busy time, like during a pilot season is when you feel most overwhelmed and you're maybe, for me, I was maybe getting like, five a week but a ton of preparation has to go into this um so it actually does become a lot yeah yeah i see so then three years still very much starting out when you compare it but um and then you had gone on this acting track uh earlier than that but then when did you first what's your earliest memory of liking stand-up um, my mom and I used to be obsessed with Sinbad. Uh-huh. And I remember this one, like, I was so young. I also loved Ellen. Um, mm. I was so young and Sinbad did this act out where he was like making fun of 
who the teacher called on to help them pass out the snacks uh-huh. and how like the person gets so the little kid gets so arrogant and they're like breaking the graham cracker and he like <laughs> did the act out uh-huh. and it was so relatable obviously because I was that age where it's like you want to be the one um and that was as a young person I mean you know typically great stand-ups aren't doing like kid material mm-hmm. but he I felt so connected to him in that moment and then like his acting career too the guy was just fucking hilarious so that's when it sort of started spinning of like this is so cool what these adults are doing mm-hmm. then did you watch a lot of stand-up uh while you pursued other different careers in performance or uh did it become something you watched and paid more attention to once you started trying it yourself yeah I've always watched a lot of stand-up like I loved too as a kid Rodney Dangerfield um Mm. and then when I moved to New York and was acting I would go to the comedy cellar all the time Mm. my first acting job in New York actually was this web series that Colin Quinn did that Jerry Mm. Seinfeld um produced and I, I was like going to be a hooker Mm. and which is literally all over my IMDb. And, um, and I'm just curious though, like often it's on top of it or as it rolls in kind of crime dramas where you are, end up being a victim of something too, or, or just sort of like you're part of, uh, that scene and cops got to talk to somebody or something or yeah, that's just an interesting thing to be slotted into. I know. I, I know it's really because of my voice, um, <laughs> which is, um, but yeah, it's mostly, um, I never, I have auditioned for victim stuff, but I never got cast as the actual victim except in this Colin Quinn thing. <laughs> so the casting director I had read for a lot, and they needed someone last minute she calls and she's like okay it's going to be this scene where you're playing a hooker on a set like because it's colin quinn's playing an actor in the show so i I was going to be playing another actor in the show whose role was dead hooker Mm -hmm. um and she's like it's going to be a funny scene where you're like lying there as a dead hooker and then you know they're going to be like cut and you're going to uh wake up and Colin's going to be like hitting on you. And then you drop that you have a boyfriend and then he's going to be like, fuck that. And just walk away. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I'll fucking do it. Um, getting to improvise with Colin Quinn, like what a, what a dream. And so then I was all psyched to get to act across from Colin Quinn. And then I get the script and I have, no fucking lines Mm. it's just like that i lie i'm lying there in a like mini skirt dead Uh and i'm like what so i freak out and i'm like 22 so i don't know how to play it cool yet i call Mm -hmm. the assistant director like a billion times Uh (laughs) and he's like why is this dead hooker bitch calling me so much yeah. And I was like, Hey, what's up? Um, Mary Lane. Uh, I- I'm, you know, I'm going to be the hooker tomorrow. Can't fucking wait. Thanks for having me. Um, quick thing. Casting told me I had lines. 
So like, I'm just looking at the script and I'm not seeing any. And he's like, yeah, that's because you don't have any. You're playing a dead hooker. Why would you have lines? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, totally, totally. I get that. But just cast, I just kept repeating nonstop. Casting told me I had lines. So finally he was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to call Colin and ask? And I'm like, we don't need to like, I'm, and then I was like, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. You know, call Colin and ask. So I don't hear from them. I'm like, whatever, I need the money anyway. So I'm going to fucking do it regardless. Um, but what a bad omen for your acting career that your first role is just like a glorified extra hooker lying dead. Um, but so I get to set and I'm walking in and I see, I look up and I, the first person I see is Colin and he's just sitting there at crafty eating and he sees me and he goes, casting told me I had lines. Oh no. (laughs) And then I was like, well, do I? And he's like, we'll give you some lines. (laughs) So that worked. That's the lesson is that it worked. Yes, it worked. Well, that's really cool, though. Got to work with Colin Quinn, especially coming from like stand-up fan background, too, then. Yeah, and Keith Robinson was there. Um, and who else was there? Bobby Kelly. Hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it was just like that I should have known them because they were all just like ripping on one another. And you could tell their intention, your friendship was so intense. Mm-hmm. Um. And like, I just remember thinking that, oh, that's, this is heaven. Like I would, I, I, I was shy. I think I tried to make like a few jokes, but mostly I just watched and just getting to watch was like cool enough. Yeah. So, uh, how long were you in New York? I was in New York four years. Yeah. And then that's interesting because most of the people I've talked to are very, have been very LA based and focused. And then they would see stand up when they talk about places in LA. So I'm kind of curious. Um, well, I guess the last few years you've been in LA, but bef- when we could see stand up live in person, uh, maybe not so much like this San Bernardino situation, what, uh, where were your favorite places to see stand up? In New York or LA? It could be both. It would, I guess you'd have to maybe pick what was your absolute favorite place. Well, my absolute favorite place is the comedy cellar in New York. Mm. But my favorite place now that I do stand up to get, mm-hmm. that was to watch, to get to hang out is the um is the comedy store. Mm-hmm. I feel most comfortable performing at the improv because I've done it the most there. Um and something about the comedy store, it always feels like, oh, I'm at the comedy store, you know? Yeah. There's like an added pressure to it. But getting to hang out at the at the comedy store and just go, because they let comics go in the back for free. Mm. And just so long as all the seats aren't filled, you get to just sit there and watch all these people um, who are like the best comedians in the world on any given night with your friends. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. Yeah. That's the very storied, you'll hear stories about, uh, I listen to like other comedians 
podcast they'll talk about I was at the store and this and this and this happened and they talk about like booths did you feel like there's an obvious pecking order like you know where I can sit and not sit is it kind of like a high school cafeteria in that way it definitely is I mean there's certain people too who you just like especially the the scenes in films with a high school where it's like they shoot in the hallway and Mm -hmm. like the hot jock and the cheerleader are walking down in slow-mo and then all the nerds kind of like at their lockers like stop and like watch in admiration Mm -hmm. that's definitely like you're at the store and then like Whitney Cummings walks in yeah and you're like palling around with your friends and then all of a sudden you're like Like, shut up shut up yeah yeah I mean honestly like for me which people get so weirded out, but I am so, the person I am starstruck by most in this world, I'm talking like politicians, actors, mm-hmm. comedians, is Tim Dillon. Hmm. Do you know him? I don't. Yeah, you got you kind of caught me there. So he's I don't. not even, he's like, I mean, he's about to blow up, but he's not like, he hasn't even fully, I don't know. I just, I think he's the best. When he walks in, I like go numb. Hmm. I'm going to give a quick Google. You'll have to cut this out and just make sure I know. I want to see who that is. I'm kidding. I'll leave this in. It's funnier. Um, I just want to see if I had seen him before. He's amazing. His podcast is unreal. Definitely going to check him out. Yeah. Tim Dillon. Yeah. So you're most starstruck by him when he walks yeah. in the comedy store. Yeah. Mm. I, I guess if Tig Notaro, I haven't seen her walk in, but if Tig walked in, I'd be like freaked out. Yeah. Not to blow up her spot, but around where you live, I've seen her several times walking around. I know exactly why, because she's a, um, her wife, is a member at the Jane Club, oh. which is an all-female co-working club, mm. and it's in Larchmont. Yeah, seen. I should just yeah. Seen their very cute family walking around. Um, this is before quarantine, but yeah, I've been very starstruck to see her as well. She's the best. How much did you perform stand-up in New York, though? Um, I did six months in New York. Hmm. Is that like a good boot camp? You think the general kind of stereotype I get is New York, you know, New York, scary and rough LA, more community, but also cutthroat. What do you think was the good, uh, the better vibes for starting out in stand up? I mean, yeah, I, I didn't feel like I immersed myself enough in New York to give it a, uh, like a full diagnosis, but I definitely felt more at home immediately doing it in LA. Mm. I also like, I mean, people say a lot of the style in New York is um, you're like selling joke writing and in LA you're selling personality. Uh Uh-huh. I, which who know, you know, to what degree is that true? Who knows? Um, They say there's more pandering to industry in LA. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, Although I don't know, for me, it's like either people are funny or they're not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there must be, there has to be an effect of they're just closer to television production. It's obviously it occurs and happens in both places, but closer to getting like your uh, 
single cam Netflix series about a young comic kind of thing is definitely more visible here. So I can understand the. Definitely. And there's mm. more like maybe a casting directors in the audience or a showrunner mm-hmm. or whatever. So there's that sense of like, I mean, it is funny, like shows where there's a lot of industry are all because industry doesn't laugh as much. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like a buzzkill. Like you go and they're like, like CIA will send a team of assistants. And then it's like 15 like blonde chicks being like, I don't want to be here, you know? Yeah. So then it it makes it even harder to have a good set. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, And then kind of related as a performer, what type of show or the location feels like an away game and what kind of place feels like a home game for you? An away game definitely for me sort of feels like alt vibe, Huh? you know, like. It makes sense if you, you kind of said you feel real at home. That might not be your answer, but you feel real good at the store doing an alt room. Those are kind of the like, the teams that have been created. I'm just speaking from a fan's perspective. Yeah. But yeah. I definitely identify as pretty mainstream. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to like tell funny stories that are, uh, yeah. Like alt rooms where it's like, people are like, like doing weird shit. Like that gives me so much anxiety because yeah. <laughs> It's tough, you know, typically if like you're in a room and you don't think what is happening is particularly funny and you start panicking. your mindset is out of sync with the audience. Yeah. I found then, you know, things are tend to be mutual in life. You don't mm. get up and then bl- like blow people away. So yeah, alt rooms are where I'm like... I feel nervous. Mm. It's, I don't know, maybe talking on my ass and I could, it could be totally doesn't make sense, but I get kind of like, I watched some of your, I had to, I looked through your Instagram and watched some of your clips, which I enjoyed a lot. And then Thank you. you have kind of a, it's hard to say what alti is it like alternative to the form that, as we know it, like you're saying, uh, you kind of like an act out of someone like waving their arms and making weird faces. Like, uh, the worst thing that would happen at like UCB is like that idea of like alt, but then um, there's an altiness, I think just to the fact still of being a woman performing at the store. Cause you're going to give something very different than like uh, what are in most people's minds in the mainstream is still a lot of dudes. I think, am I right? Or am I totally off? Do you think there's anything alty to what you're doing or how you're coming at it? I mean, maybe just because I maintain a feminine persona. Mm. Um, But like, like when you watch certain women at the store, you don't notice any break. Like, like when Annie Letterman gets up, there's no break. There's no like, and now a woman's here. Like. Mm-hmm. She just gets up and kills because she's a great seasoned comedian. Um, and then it's a dude and, or like Nicole Amy Schreiber or Whitney Cummings, like, like. <sighs> I'm thinking of somebody I'm thinking of too, is like, 
Punky Johnson just comes up, kills, is very and, masculine and aggressive, and like there's no break, is what I would think. Yeah. Right. There's no break when Punky gets up for mm. sure. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing Alti I do is I speak really slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're not yelling, and you don't have like I a don't. big drunk energy i think yeah i could see that yeah yeah no i'm not eddie pepitone i'm yeah. low energy <laughs> yeah as much as i wish i were guy is fucking hilarious yeah amazing he's amazing um so away game was alts but then where does it where's uh what type of show is the best home game feeling honestly and i say this and when there's like a lot of pretty chicks in the audience, I love that shit. Like mm. a bunch. I, I like a, I kind of like a prissy room. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already thinking of, uh, Megan Gailey. Oh, I love Megan. She, she like performs Natasha well Legero. in a prissy room. Definitely. Yeah. Natasha Legero, prissy room. I don't, I don't say it pejoratively either though. It's just like, there's a, that's a type of vibe that, yeah, I think you nailed it. (laughs) So you do well in a place like that. that. Yeah. Like I love to like, kind of like preppy people. Like, I mean, it's just where my material resonates the most. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to be universal. I'm not there yet. So mm-hmm. it's like right now that feels real. I get really excited by that. I like it too. If it feels like a lot of like yuppies on dates, you know, uh-huh. that's kind of my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. What are the best circumstances do you think in your life to see stand up? Are you more of a, you want to see it when you're down or up? I always feel better watching it. Like, I like watching it more when I'm up just because you, once you start doing comedy and you have friends there, I can be like, if I'm in a bad stressed out mood, I, not that I can be rude, but I can come across as very cold when I'm just being more inward. And I don't like to show up cause it feels like a professional setting. Mm. So I don't want to show up and not be as warm to people as I should be if I'm feeling like depressed or anxious, whatever. So I always like going when I'm like very feeling happy and willing to be social and whatnot. Mm. Right. And then do you think that's been changed by the fact that you've been performing uh, so much? Has that the role of stand up in your life? Do you think it's been uh, spoiled or changed in some way? Can you just enjoy it now without comparing and thinking about how to work on your own act? No, like there is an element of watching truly great comedians. Like on one hand, it's so much fun, Mm. but there is always at least a fleeting thought of, fuck, I have so much work to do. Yeah. Mm. Does that, does that often just lead to like a kind of anxiety and despair or does that motivate you and you go home and like have a notebook and you're writing and you're figuring things out? Or is it just kind of like a lot of people, their response to that kind of thing is just like a wall. I think it, it, it affects me differently at different moments in life. Like 
yeah, there's moments where you just feel like um, it's too steep a hill to climb. And then there's other moments where it's like you recognize how high the climb is, but it also feels attainable. Uh, and it just depends where you're at mentally. Mm. Uh, what do you remember? What was the last show you saw before the quarantines started before the pandemic? I mean, I did a show right before and I got COVID. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. The chick went right before me. This was middle of March, like right the night before Newsom announced the lockdown. Mm. I did a show at Bar Lubitsch and it was a lot of fun. A lot of my friends were on the lineup. A lot of them bombed, which honestly, it's so funny to watch your friends bomb. Like, <laughs> And I mean, they would say the same about me. It's just because it's like, that's like one it's of my like, favorite oh things as a audience member when you hear someone bombing and you hear a comic in the back cackling. They're the only yes. laughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like course. a niche thing to to cling to, but yeah. So you might be the one cackling in those circumstances. Oh yeah. Like Lexi Grace, who you've talked to, her and I go on mic runs together all the time and mm. she tip it, she's very consistent. Like she usually does quite well. Mm-hmm. But when she says a joke and it doesn't go well, I'm just laughing my ass off. Yeah. <laughs> so you were also up right as- because comedy is in the unexpected too. So if you've mm. heard a friend deliver the same joke a million times and it's always met with laughter, mm-hmm. that becomes the pattern. And when that pattern's broken and it's met with dead silence, it's not what you anticipated. So it's funny. Yeah. So this person was up at Bar Lubitsch before you. Were you leading to say that they had COVID, it turned out? Yeah, so then they it turns out they had COVID and... Spit all over the microphone. So pretty much everyone who went after her got COVID. Damn, yeah. Do you... Okay, so that was March. And then that was the last show you did. Soon after that, you were real sick and then came through it. Um, yeah, but then are you talking about that in your new material? I just think that's a, it's over the time it's become not that unique of an experience to get COVID, but uh, have you talked about it at all in when you're doing zoom shows and stuff? I actually haven't. Um, No, I haven't. Cause I'm trying to, I'm actually when I'm, what I'm working on is really getting my material that I'm like you step away from it for a few months and then you're like, okay, what, what of my material was actually good? Like mm. once I've stepped away and can really evaluate it more fairly. And what I'm really focused on is just actually getting that stuff to a place that's ready for late night or ready for some, um, yeah, just like any sort of good taping. Mm-hmm. You know, like some sort of credit. Yeah. I mean, I've I talked about COVID like off the cuff, you know, like pointing mm-hmm. out people not social distancing or whatnot, or like I, I had a joke like when the protests were happening, like, you know, a week ago, a guy kayaking in the middle of the lake was a grandma killer. And now it's our civic duty to take to the streets in mass. So like, I'll like make little comments yeah. like that, but I'm not doing like, I haven't tackled COVID specific material. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it kind of filters back into uh, what people are talking about, especially because it's not that current or new anymore because it's we've been in quarantine for so long. <laughs> but um, what is your worst stand-up related memory? Uh, I start with the worst one and then kind of palate cleanser too. What's the best one? But what's your worst memory related to stand-up or some show you were at or experience like that? My worst stand-up memory, which at the time felt so painful but looking back i was like okay i was being a bit of a baby Mm. probably um i was in new york and it was an open mic at the pit the people's improv theater Mm. and i got up and did my set and it was very lazy and i admitted to it being lazy and i was in some dress you know and then a guy got up after and it's like filled to the brim with comics yeah um and then a guy got up after me and just like lit into me about how i was a ditz and um like yeah you were lazy we could tell you're lazy like that's why you suck Hmm. um and then like imitating me being prissy and then he got right up in my face and like um started going like this like as if to waft the scent of his armpit in my face. And he was like, this is what being poor smells like, bitch. This is what it takes. And Jeez. he's like screaming at me and everyone's cheering like gladiator style. Oh, wow. And it was just a moment of like, wow, they hated me. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember being so devastated by that. But looking back, it's like, yeah, you can look at that and be like, wow, that was a big dramatic thing where everyone hated me. And like, or it's like, or, you know, in comedy, it's like I teed him up and he took the bait, you know, move Uh on. And then I did like the roast battle at the comedy store Mm. and you hear people laughing so hysterically at things that you think are so mean and you don't even see in yourself. And you realize who fucking cares? It's just uh-huh. the name of the game. No one's exempt. Nobody's exempt. Like had that guy who walked it, had I gotten up afterwards and been like, you fat fuck, you know, that would have been game. And people would, you know, I, so that was at the time the worst, but looking back, I'm like, I probably could have uh, bounced back a little quicker from that. Yeah. That's just, <laughs> that is just, I think traumatic no matter what the, they could make it flipped too. Like, yeah, I can't. Okay. <laughs> but on the flip side of that experience, what is your best stand-up related memory? My best stand-up related memory probably would have been, um, I produced a show kind of right before, um, right before lockdown esque. no, maybe a month or two before mm. with overheard LA at the comedy store. I, oh, pitched nice. them, I pitched them this idea of like, I think you should be doing live entertain. Like people really are obsessed with you. Like mm. they'd like to see probably live events, something tangible, of like being in the world of overheard. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, and then I came up with this idea of like at the end of the we'll get, we'll get amazing stand-up comedians. And then at the end, we'll have a celebrity who's never tried stand-up do a five minute set. Mm. And I was like, and I created a writer's room for the celebrity. So I literally 
paid three comedians to sit with and myself to sit with him and have him express us like what he thought was funny about his life. And we make, turned it into like a set with him. Yeah. And then like I took him to open mics and sort of did that whole thing. And then the show like immediately sold out. Like everyone yeah. was just like, that was so fucking good. I got like dream lineup. It like, and I was so nervous about hosting, especially like doing in between time in between some of these comics who, you know, I picked who I think is funniest. So it's like, obviously there's stress there. Of like, how do I keep up with these guys? And then hosting stressful. Cause it is a lot of improv, right? You have to like come up with what's happening in the room, what the comic just said, but everything was like a huge hit. Mm. And that was really cool. Yeah. That just seems like such a great idea and has a lot of potential to, you know, documenting the whole process. It can be, it could be some kind of show or something like that's a great. Right. And so overheard ended up not liking the like, cause they just felt it felt a little irrelevant with their brand. Mm. So I am working on potentially doing it with somebody else, but it's, it's important that I, I don't have many Instagram followers. So it's important that I, match with somebody like that because tickets just sell like this i mean yeah overheard la they have such a loyal fan base and they have over a million followers they make one story post and it's sold out within a couple minutes you know yeah. whereas i would have to be hey come to my show come to my show come to my show mm-hmm. um, but yeah i love that idea and i think it's it, the whole thing was awesome mm. and then wrapping up these questions what what do you miss the most about seeing stand up live? I just miss everything about it. I miss bumping into friends who are there. I miss seeing people who are just truly the funniest people in the world perform. Like, uh, like, you know, you just see like, how does Bill Burr's mind work? Mm. And then also it's really cool to watch. Like if, you know, say Bill Burr has a heckler, like, you think oh god what would i do and then you get to see what he does yeah it's just endlessly fun Mm. yeah i miss spontaneity of anything uh something not prepared yeah right now we're just getting an endless stream of specials which is good but it's gonna run out and yeah did you watch louis new special i did not it's awesome how is he putting that out he on his website you can buy it I think it's mm. like seven or eight bucks. It's so good. It's so good. Do you feel like he um, adequately, is he still kind of talking about how he's been, um, like what his relationship to comedy has been? Does he talk about that a lot or has he kind of moved on from well, that? Well, he made jokes about it. Like he's like, has anyone else been like globally hated? Uh-huh he makes a lot of jokes about it, but he's not really that apologetic about it. Yeah. Like, it's not like Aziz where Aziz comes, came out and like, and you know what? I, I don't know where I, you know, all these situations are so nuanced, but to me, there is something admirable about not issuing fake apologies. Like, I think a lot of times celebrities pander to whatever they think 
people want from them and that's mm. their motivation for doing it. It's not coming from any sort of real place of like regret or remorse. Mm-hmm. And that I think is pretty pitiful and gross to watch. Mm. It's a little refreshing to see. I mean, you know, it, it still might be, um, I don't know that level of sticking to your, I mean, I, I certainly don't have it. It's interesting to watch. Yeah. You can definitely smell it when this apology feels crafted by a PR team versus this person actually feels remorse or about what they did and wants to figure out how to make amends for it. Yeah. Um, What other specials have you been watching? Did you watch Best Stellings on HBO? Oh, no, I should. I love Best Stelling. Great special. I just, I don't know if I've gotten a chance to talk about it on my podcast yet, but just machine gun punchlines. It's just a solid hour. There's it, her pace is so fast, but yeah. So we're, She's I think so we're, funny. Yeah. I think we're lucky. Um, at least when I had a lot more time inside that we, that Netflix was pumping out a ton of comedy specials. Like you can kind of say what you want about quality over quantity, but we're lucky right now to have so much of it. And hopefully it looks like production is kind of coming back for, um, you know, creating new content. It is, which is really good. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to plug? We wanted to talk about the comic of the week you suggested was Ben Hurwitz. He's yeah. at Ben Hurwitz Comedian on Instagram. Yeah. I really liked, I went and checked him out and he has, I uh, I couldn't glean if, I'll put links in the show description, but if it was his podcast or if he was just doing reels or something on Instagram, but he was reading posts from the uh, Reddit relationship advice subreddit. Um I thought that was just like a creative, you know, he kind of riffs on it and things too, but that's a creative way to make use of some of the content that's available. How did you come into contact with him and his comedy? He, well, he's just one of my good friends. Um, he is somebody who is definitely not afraid to derail a set. He, uh, he offends a lot of audiences unapologetically, which is always thrilling to watch too. Cause you know, <laughs> the rest of us are sort of like, trying to get cast or trying to do whatever. And he is just can be so offensive, um, Mm. which I love. I love to watch that. And yeah, he's just a fun, he like, he's a very fun guy to go to shows with. He'll make a lot of like bitchy side comments. Mm -hmm. And he's a, he's a really smart guy too. Yeah. So it's Ben Hurwitz and Ben Hurwitz comedian on Instagram, uh, maybe similar across platform, but I'll put links in the show description. Uh, anything else you want to plug Mary Elaine? No, not, uh, I'm going to be producing a show again soon, somewhere outdoors, but still trying to lock down a location and whatnot. Yeah. But somewhere in LA proper, are you looking outside of LA or LA proper? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what, has that been a kind of a difficult 
process because the kind of the regulations for things kind of prohibit it and they kind of keep they keep pushing back a deadline for when we might have any kind of normalcy and they keep canceling stuff too so i was gonna maybe rent out a venue with just assuming that i would make my money back in ticket sales but now they're like closing down venues so i'm like i don't want to pay and then get fucked uh mm-hmm. but i'm like going to a show tonight that's in a park and yeah. it's a really good lineup so i'll see how that works out yeah, that's been a thing on and off. I just remember seeing a post from early quarantine. It was Eddie Pepitone in a park and people with their dogs and he's just yelling at them. I was just like, oh, this- my God, when he's like, it's getting biblical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is. So he's one of my all time favorites. Um, do you ever get to be on any on a lineup with him at Comedy Store or anything like that? Yeah, I've been on lineup with him and he invited me. I did his podcast during quarantine. Oh, great. Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, live from the bunker, I think, yes. every weekday. Yeah. Yeah. Other thing is just, I wonder what you think about this. Could cut it out or leave it in. Um, this will be the first episode I release after the election. So we're a bit off. I'm banking episodes. Um, I'll be in touch with you of what happens. And if you want to have it, you don't care. You can have your episode come out. You could wait a week. I honestly don't. I have such a small blip of uh, listeners. It's not like some people had to like when different tragedies have happened or something, they're just like, they don't want to be the thing that's like, Hey, here's my thing. Everybody's in mourning, but you should come check out my thing. It doesn't matter whether I do or don't at this point. But, um, what if you're the first episode I drop after the election? What do you think about it? Um, the day after the election or the week, mm, after? the week after it'd be Friday. I also don't think we'll know the result of that. We're not going to know the results by then. Yeah. You know, and just hopefully we're, Making America great again. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting, you're hearing Mary Elaine Ramsey from in a vibe we don't know about yet. So that'd be interesting. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, again, that's uh, Mary Elaine Ramsey on Instagram, Twitter as well. Same hashtag. It's Emmy Ramsey. Dang. Okay. Well, I'll Emmy have Emmy Ramsey one. I don't even know what my Twitter should probably get that. Figure it out. Yeah. Well, there'll be links, definitely places to check out Mary Elaine. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, James. It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking, and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening, and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging.